0: Hey, again, I'm uh, Jim Halstead from Go and Ministries. It has been a blessing to be here. I had such a good time yesterday, Steve and his family, and Eric and his family. And uh, I had a great blessing with your pastor at the district conference, what, September? And that's how we got to know. And we've kind of got the same heartbeat and passion for Jesus and for others. And so we kind of hit it off really well. Uh, I have pastored for over 35 years. With uh, three denominations, I also was a special education teacher in Indiana public schools for 10 years. And um, I I retired from the pastorate uh, two years ago. I retired from teaching a year ago. And for the past year, I've been working full-time for Go and Tell. I founded Go and Tell two years ago as a nonprofit. We seek to equip the church to share the gospel and make disciples. And in the past year, I've traveled from... uh, Boston to Phoenix to Des Moines to Chicago to Cleveland to Jacksonville to Orlando. I've also we have we train up and I work with 150 pastors overseas. Our materials been translated in Hindi in India, to Swahili in Tanzania, and we work throughout the world to equip people to share the gospel. And as I as I share that, I. I've realized after I've retired from the pastor after 35 years, after teaching special ed for 10, I I realized when Jesus said in the great commandment that the only thing that counts is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, when he said that, that really, at my old age, that really sums up what it means to know Jesus. It's to love him passionately and to love others. And I think as a pastor, I do not only learn that in the pastor, but I, I love being here in the school because I taught public school for 10 years special ed. I think I learned that more in, in education than anything else. Because you realize the only thing that matters is its relationship with others. Now I want you to think back to your favorite teacher as we're in a school. Think back of your favorite teacher when you were in high school or junior high. And if you think of that person, I'm pretty sure you're not thinking of lesson plans or tests. You're thinking of what? Relationships. Someone who believed in you and who loved in you. And I realized when I taught special ed, that's the only thing that counts is having a relationship with others and loving them through Jesus. Now, just three years ago, I was teaching junior high in, in uh, New Haven, Indiana. And I taught, again, junior high special education. At the end of the year, I was a bivocational pastor. I was pastoring at Christ Reform Reformed Church. I was teaching. End of the school year of that year, I uh, looked at my students in junior high and said, oh, by the way, I want to let you know, I'm, I'm not coming back next year. I took an elementary job. I'm going to be going there. And I was touched. At the end of the day, my 20, 25 students in special ed made me a card. I actually have it in my car. And on the outside of the card, it says this. We just want you to know that we're going to miss you. And when you opened it up, it said they would sign their name and they all wrote your favorite student because I told every student you're my favorite but don't tell anybody and so there'd be a kid's name and all of a sudden I'm your favorite student it was marked out and another student wrote I never liked you he never liked you and so you got all these names all these signatures and so on the outside of the card it says, we just want you to know we're gonna miss you. You open it up, the names, the signatures, and in big, bold print it said this. But that doesn't necessarily mean we liked you. <laughs> so if you taught junior high, that is the most endearing and loving comment that they would say to you. But I also, I retired a year ago from teaching special ed and I, my last school I taught at was an inner city school in, in Fort Wayne and 700 students, you're gonna be shocked at this, we had 300 Burmese students, we had five Burmese translators, two Spanish translators, free breakfast, free lunch, and uh, it was a much needy needy area. And I'm gonna share some students' names today, and I'm gonna change their names for confidentiality's sake. But I, I had a student by Matthew, Matthew was a Burmese student, a child with autism who was in kindergarten who went a half day. And when I got him on a Wednesday, they actually told me at the case conference, you know, he's probably not going to talk to you until he gets comfortable with you. So he didn't say anything Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm actually on my knees, zipping up his jacket, getting him ready for the bus because he left early. And I looked at him eye to eye. And I said, Matthew, I just want you to know I love you. His first words to me was, Mr. H, I love you. That's what you remember. After that touching moment, I was on my knees, my knees locked up. I couldn't get up. And I'm looking, Matthew, can you help me? And he's trying to pull up. The principal walks by and cries out, Oh, Mr. H has fallen. And so, but I remember in teaching, you know this, it's relationships. With Jesus, it's relationships. And the verse we're looking at that we read is this The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself. Through love. That's what we're going to look at today. So join me. I want to pray a blessing for this word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you for your presence this morning. I thank you as we praise you through worship, you showed up. I thank you that you're going to teach us through your word today. And Father, now I ask, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You know, as, as I share, as we get started, go, go tell you have a brochure here. And if, if you want to receive my newsletter, I have a sign up in the back. And, and go tell ministries I survive and we raise support so I can go throughout the country to equip small churches to share the gospel. And as we get started, we look at the, the first thing, the only thing that, that counts. I'm seeing it's not working. That's why I was looking. So I need my sound guy to come on up. So we're on the th- the third slide. All right, we're right there, and you're going to have to stay up there. And I'm sorry, but <laughs> you're going to have to stay awake. Okay. <laughs> All right. The only thing that counts, you know, when you think the things that count. I just again this past month I did a funeral, and when you do funerals, you begin to grasp as you tend a funeral what matters in life, right? What's important to people. Whenever I perform a funeral, I, I always share Ecclesiastes seven. 7- Two, it's better to go to the house of mourning than a house of feasting because death is the destiny of everyone and the living should take this to heart. And when you go to a funeral, you really reflect on your life, don't you? Of What's important? What's important in my life? And I I just want to ask you a question as we get started today. If you found out today, right now, you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? You had 24 hours. You know, as you begin to think of that, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't play Powerball. (laughs) You begin to think that you only have 24 hours to live. What do you think of? You think of relationships. You think of who do I want to call to maybe say that I love you one last time? Who do I want to call to maybe to reconcile and and to help? Who do I want to call to maybe ask for forgiveness and encouragement? Who do I want to hold that one last time? And you begin, when you go to a funeral, to think, what is important? What really counts? And probably the question is, is not so much, what would you do if you only had 24 hours to live? Maybe the question is, is we need to live every day as if we only have 24 hours. But you know, when I ask you that question, what would you do if you only had 24 hours? I, if are honest, I don't know what I would do, but I do know someone who did know. And that was Jesus. And I think I figured this out. I got it. I think I got it. I got it. What did Jesus do? You know the night He was betrayed, at the Last Supper, He said this. What does it say? It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for Him to leave this world and go to the Father. And loving, having loved His own who were in the world, He now showed them the full extent of His love. The evening meal was already being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and they had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin. He began to wash his disciples feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus knew it was under 24 hours he had to live. And what did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. Did you ever think how he did that? You know, I don't think if it was Cal, he just went down and washed his feet and he looked at the feet. I think he had eye contact with every disciple. I think he shared his love for them, his passion for them, his encouragement for them. He shared His heart to every disciple. And Jesus modeled that for us. You know, later on that night, He goes, a new command I give you, you must love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And all men will know that you are My disciples. By what? By loving one another. He, you know, He said that. He goes, that later, He goes said, what? Well, now that I, Lord your God and Teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You know, when, when we talk about go tell, going around equipping people to share the gospel, most people think what that means is, you know, going out to the pier and standing on a soapbox and preaching. That's not what I think of. What I think of equipping you to share the gospel is that you will bloom where God has planted you that I firmly believe God is sovereign. He's placed us not only exactly where we need to be, but He's placed people in our life that we need to reach. It's beginning to pray for those neighbors, the co-workers, the family members, people you see at the coffee shop, the people you see in your sports league, the people that God has placed in your life, and you begin to pray not only for their salvation, but you love them. You wash their feet. That's so why I told you I taught at the junior high school. When I taught at the junior high school, this was just three years ago. I was a special ed teacher, junior high. My first day of class, I'm gonna, I had a student. I'm going to call him by the name of Adam. I got Adam. Adam was a 6'2", African-American kid, eighth grader, 6'2", 190, looked like the purest athlete I've seen. I mean, just a great athlete. I got my picture with Anthony Davis picture out there. I was all excited. My son's a college basketball coach. Stuff basketball excites me. And, I, and I, I got at him, and I saw him that first day, and I asked him, hey, do you play football? Because we started school, it was like August 10th, the start of the year, and he goes, it's funny you should ask Mr. H. The football coach has already asked me three times if I'll go out. I said, well, no doubt. And I start talking to him that week, and I find out he comes from a broken home. He lived with his mom, had several siblings and cousins, and he never was on a team ever in his life because he had to help with the family. And during the week, he shared with me, oh, Mr. H, I've always wanted to be on a team. I always want to be on basketball team, or football Ah, uh, I always want to be on team. Well, Friday came at the end of the week, and he came in, and he was all excited. And he said this to me. He goes, Mr. H, you're not going to believe it. I almost made the team. I go, what do you mean, Adam? He goes, my mom said I could be on the team. But the free physicals are passed, and we can't afford the physical. And the coach says he can't help me. And but Mr. H, I would have been on the team. And he walked out of my class, but what he didn't know that day was that morning, I got an email. You see, I didn't grow up in the church. I was this big in sixth grade, and I played basketball in Indianapolis. And Coach Mustin, through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, led me to faith in Jesus. And what happened that morning, I had just, can I do that? He said, yes. So they ended up doing that Monday. Adam came into my classroom all excited. Mr. H, you're not going to believe it. I'm on the team. I'm on the team. Someone told the athletic director they believed in it. They paid for the physical. I got the physical today. Uh, tomorrow I go to practice and I have a game on Wednesday. And I'm like, what? You're playing on Wednesday? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be in a game. I'm going to be in a game. Well, guess who volunteered to be on the chain game for that football game that Wednesday? I was holding the 10-yard ten, ten marker. So that game happened, and the first handoff, actually, he was a running back, he got five yards. I'm on the visiting side with the yard marker, and I'm kind of cheering him on. The second handoff, he ran 70 yards for a touchdown. And what was so neat, when he got in the end zone, he didn't know what to do. Because the one practice they had, they didn't cover. Oh, by the way, when you get in a touchdown, this is what you do. So what did he do? He didn't know what to do. He just did what he saw in the NFL. What do they do? He spiked the ball, and he began to dance, and... Flags are flying. People are screaming. The visiting coach began to yell out, well, "What's that kid doing? It's like he's never played football before." A coach he hasn't. He's only had one practice, and uh, I'm I'm jumping up and down. Well, the next day Adam comes into my classroom, and I, I was bragging on him. Oh, Adam, I'm so proud of you. You did such a great job. I'm so proud of you. And then he he said this stunning comment. Oh, but Mr. H, I I really like basketball. And I'm like. Well, hold it. You just got a touchdown. What are you talking about basketball? And another kid goes, Oh, he's much better at basketball, Mr. H. Well, what are you talking about? And he said, Mr. H, they don't hit you in basketball like they do in football. <laughs> and everyone kept telling me he's really good in basketball. Well, my son played on travel teams. My son played college basketball. My son's now an assistant basketball coach. I called his travel team coach when he was in junior high and I said, I got a kid's raw talent. I'm going to work with his mom, I'll get him to practice, we'll take care of the fees. Can he get on your team? He needs to be a part of a team. The coach said yes. So from September to February, he's on the team. Matter of fact, after school, I would often take him to a church gym and I would work him out. And I'd do trainings. And it gets to February, I'm working him out, he gets done, we're sitting down on a chair and he's sweating and he goes, Mr. H, I just got to tell you, I don't know why you're doing this. Maybe, maybe you're doing this. You run me so hard. You know, tomorrow I won't give any trouble in class because I'm too tired. And I said, you got me, Adam. You figured me out. he goes, no, I haven't figured you out at all, Mr. H. you got me on this basketball team. You take me to practice. You train me. Why are you doing this? I said, well, Adam, there's more to life than basketball. There's more than life than education. It's about having a relationship with God. Do you go to church? No, I don't go to church. I said, Adam, could I ask you a spiritual question? He said, okay. I said, if you were to stand before God right now and he would ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? He said, I try to be good, Mr. H. I, I try to help people. And I said, Adam, you do. That's why I love you. You're my student. I love you. You know, Adam, God's standard of goodness is far greater than our goodness. Matter of fact, if you look at God's standards of goodness, you're going to see that. Could, could I have you examine your life through God's Ten Commandments to see how you stand before God? He said, okay. I said, one of the commands, Adam, from the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt not lie. Have you ever lied? <laughs> he goes, yeah, you know I have, Mr. H. What do you call someone who lies, Adam? A liar? Another command is, thou shalt not steal. Oh, by the way, Adam, I want to let you know, cheating at school is stealing. (laughs) He goes, yeah, yeah, that's me. I go, what do you call someone who steals? He goes, a thief. Here, Adam, another command is, thou shalt not murder. But Jesus said, murder is having anger in your heart of someone. Have you ever done that? And he said, yes, Mr. H. Here, Adam, you've just admitted to me that you're a lying, thieving, murderous person at heart he laughed. I go, Adam, would you be innocent or guilty for breaking God's law? And he goes, I'd be guilty. Would you go to heaven or hell? He goes, I'd I'd go to hell. I go, Adam, does that concern you? He said, yeah, Mr. H. I said, do you have any idea what God's done for you? So you wouldn't have to go to hell, but you could know God right now. Do you know what he did for you? And he said, no, Mr. H. And I go, Adam, that's, that's why I've been doing this. Can I tell you what God's done for you? I told him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 30 minutes later, we're both on our knees in that gym. And Adam repented of his sins and he trusted Jesus as his Savior. Because you see, God wants us. He wants us to wash the people's feet that what? He's placed in our life. And he placed Adam in my life. But not only God wants us to what? To love the people that he's placed in our lives. He also wants us to what? Love him. love the Father. Matter of fact, remember later after that supper, after he washed his disciples' feet, remember Jesus went out to the garden of Gethsemane. Remember that? And out of the garden it says this, that Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, the disciples, and he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not what? My will. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus sat late night pray Father not my will but your will be done <laughs> you know in the past two years with COVID with life in America it's changed <laughs> have you been praying that God not, not my will that your will be done Father, I don't know what's happening with finances or my job or my family but Father that doesn't matter it's not my will but your will be done Several years ago, I shared last night at the table, I had left a Christian Mission Alliance Church in 2006. We had a disagreement philosophy, and I resigned. And when I resigned, my wife had just overcome brain surgery. She's a stay-at-home mom. She doesn't work. I had a senior in high school. I had two upper elementary kids, and I had no job. You ever been there? And I'm just praying, God, I don't know what to do. And the coach called me, I told you Stephen was in upper elementary, fifth or sixth grade, and the coach says, Hey, we got a tournament the next weekend after I preached my last sermon. We got a tournament the next weekend. You want to go? And I'm like, Well, I don't have anything else to do. I'll sure I'll go. And I'm driving from Fort Wayne to Chicago through 33 through Maryville. There's not much on that road. And so what am I doing? I'm praying, and when I'm praying, what am I praying? God help me, I I don't I help provide for my family. I don't have a job. I don't know what the funds, I don't know what's going on and my son's in the back seat and I'm praying and I'm driving and he's watching a DVD player. I didn't hear God's voice but God nudged me and he nudged me and he said this, I want you to look at your son. And so I, I looked in the rearview mirror while I'm driving and when I see him he's watching a DVD player and the Lord oppressed upon me this. He said, Jim, you're your son doesn't know where Maryville is. He doesn't know the hotel he's staying at. He doesn't know the gym they're playing at. He doesn't know where the team's meeting. He has no idea how his food's going to be provided. But he knows this. His father's going to take care of him. And the next thing I know, I'm thinking of Jeremiah 29, 13. I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And I begin to praise God. God, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where my next job is. I don't know how the finances are going to be provided. But Father, I know you love me. And while I'm praising God for that, he, he speaks to me, he nudges me again. and says, look at your son. So I look in my rearview mirror again, and when I look at my son at that time, he's laughing with joy. And the Lord nudged upon me this truth. Jim, there's one thing I want you to do. I want you to enjoy the ride. I want to ask you, can you enjoy the ride when you don't know where you're going, you don't know how you can get there, you can, because what? You have a father who loves you. You know, the only thing that counts at the end of life is what? You have a relationship with God and the relationships you have with other people. But not only that, it goes on to say in Galatians 5:6, the only thing that counts is what is faith. It's expressing itself. Through love. And this just isn't faith. I think in our world today, in our culture, especially American culture, people have what? Faith and faith. Faith that things are going to work out. It's not faith in the person of Jesus Christ, that he died, he rose from the dead. It's not faith in Jesus. It's faith and faith. Proverbs says this, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end is a way of death. People have faith, and you can be sincere in your faith that things are going to work out, but you can be sincerely wrong. I just read this past summer in, in the country of Colombia, people were bungee jumping. Had 100 people that day. Number 89 and 90 was going to be Yesenia. Yesenia was a gal, and she brought her boyfriend, and they were going to jump. He was over here. She was here. They both had the harness on. And they attached the bungee cords to him, and the guy who was running the show gave a thumbs up to him. That was his turn to jump, and he said the thumbs up. Then he looked at his girlfriend and gave us the a thumbs up. She doesn't have the bungee cord on. She sees the thumbs up and mistakenly thinks it's her time to jump, and she jumped. She died. They actually did an autopsy of her. She didn't die by hitting the ground. She died of a heart attack during the fall. She sincerely believed it was her time to jump, and she was sincerely wrong and there's people today sincerely think that they're good enough to get to heaven. Everything is going to work out. I have faith that everything's going to be for fine and they're sincerely wrong because they're dead in their sin. Scripture says what when without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Acts says what salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among man by which we must be saved. The Bible says, For there is one God or one mediator between God and man, that is a man Christ Jesus. Unless you have faith in the person of Jesus Christ, His death, His resurrection, unless you believe that He died for your sins and took away the punishment of your sins, you are dead in your sins, and when you die, you're going to meet the wrath of God. Separated. The church has forgot the task he's given us of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that's lost. Matter of fact, the Christian Post just did a study this past year. They surveyed over 3,600 people. Now now listen to this. 3,600 people who said this, that they attend church, Christian church, that they're Christians and that they're born again. I know that's an oxymoron, but they they said all three. They attend church, they're Christians, and they're born again. And out of those 3,600 people, 60% said this. They felt that Jesus, Muhammad, and Buddha were all an equal way to get to heaven. That's a church survey. Salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. Matter of fact, not only salvation for eternity is in Christ and Christ alone, I can't imagine going through life without the peace and presence of Christ daily, daily. And do you ever consider those that don't know that peace and presence, they're trying to make it? Matter of fact, what did they, when they asked Jesus, they ask Him, what must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus answered them, the work of God is this. To what? To believe in the one He has sent. To believe in whom? To believe in Jesus through His death and resurrection. To believe in Him to be born again. Our country has fallen away from that. The church has fallen away from it. Matter of fact, I was in Boston literally a year ago doing a Go and Tell weekend. And after the Go and Tell workshop on a Saturday, we did this. They actually gave me the Freedom Trail. If you've ever been to Boston, walk the Freedom Trail. And we walked past Harvard University and had a great afternoon. I kind of joked with the guy. I thought, You're trying to kill me? I mean, I was dead tired <laughs> later that night. But when we went to Harvard University, now, Harvard, as you know, founded what, 400 years ago by Pastor John Harvard. Their motto was what? Truth for Christ and truth for the church. That was the founding motto, because their motto was they wanted to train pastors in the new world to equip them to share the gospel. Now the motto of Harvard is truth. It's an oxymoron. Because they actually have a lot of different chaplains in Harvard. They, they actually have, you know, have a chaplain that believes like we believe, Christ and salvation's only him. They also have a chaplain for Islam, chaplain for Hindu, chaplain for Wiccan. And then they announced when I was there a year ago, they have a head chaplain that oversees all the chaplains of Harvard. Do you know what the head chaplain of Harvard believes in? Harvard, that was founded for truth for Christ in the church 400 years ago. What is his theological belief? He's an atheist. He wrote the book, Doing Good Without God. As I walk by that school, How far our country has fallen from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And often of us that are in the church, we forget that people outside of the church, they literally don't know the gospel. They don't know that Jesus died on a cross for their sins and that God loves them. But God demonstrated his love for them in this. While they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. First John, it says this, and this is his command, what? To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. To love each other. To share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you grasp that those that God has placed in your life, have you ever begun to pray, not only for their salvation, that they would know Jesus. That's the goal of our faith, is the salvation of our souls. But they would know the peace and the presence of Christ right now that you're walking in. You know, Elon Elon Musk has been in the news a lot, Right? He made a comment because he thought about, he was worried about his thoughts about dying this summer. A a Muslim, and Iman, wrote this. You don't need, you won't won't die before your day, Elon. Anyway, you're a unique figure in this world. I'm only wondering one thing. As a genius, haven't you figured out that there's a great creator of this world yet? If you did, make sure you confess this before your last heartbeat. Uh, Christians should be saying that. You know how he responded on Twitter before he owned Twitter? (laughs) Thank you for your blessing, but I'm okay with going to hell. If that is indeed my destination, since the vast majority of all humans ever born will be there. He's exactly right. The vast majority of humans ever born are going to be there. Everyone is destined for hell. Everyone is dead in their sin but he does not know the hope of the gospel, of faith in Jesus Christ. See, the only thing that counts is faith in what? In Jesus. And only that, those first, the last part is what? Expressed through love. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. Just ask you this. Do your neighbors, do your co workers, the people God has placed in your life, would they know you are Christians by your love? It doesn't mean you give in to their sin. It doesn't mean you don't say Jesus is the only way, but you've demonstrated a brokenness and a love for them. I did the sermon several months ago, and a guy afterwards came up to me and said this Your sermon bothered me. Thanks. <laughs> As I, I was thinking of my neighbor. My neighbor, I'll have to be honest, we disagreed politically and I said a lot of mean things about him and to him. And he told another neighbor that, oh, that guy says he's a Christian. You could never tell by the way he acted towards me. And he goes, I've been totally wrong. I'm actually going to write an apology letter and confess my sin to him today. He only knows me by my anger and not by my love. How would people know you? How would your co workers know you? How would other people know you? You know, Paul summed it up this way what? In, In the love chapter, you know this verse. If I speak in tongues of man and of angels, but have not loved, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith, I can move mountains, but have not loved, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not loved, I gain nothing. The only thing that counts is faith in Jesus expressed through love. You know, we, we challenged people to training yesterday. Pray for the lost by name. Why? Because God will give you his heart for them and you'll break for them. You'll see them and you'll, you'll hurt for them. You'll have compassion on them. When people say you speak the language of love. So when I was, was teaching that last year, I went and I I was picking up Matthew. Matthew was in this class, and I was going to pull him for an instruction. And and I had two other students with me. I had Jaime, who speaks Spanish and English, a first-grade student. Then I had uh, Joseph. And Joseph, Jaime had an emotional disability. Joseph had several palsy and a speech impediment. So if you talked to Joseph, you wouldn't understand him at all. But his mom and his teachers and I, I knew everything he said. I could translate it for you. So anyway, we're holding our hands. I knocked on the door. I see Matthew's taking a test. We're waiting. And and Joseph became to be a chatterbox. Mr. H, and he's just talking, talking. And all of a sudden, I look at Jaime, and he's looking like this. He's got this, huh. And he said this. Jaime goes, Mr. H, you speak his language. Why did he say that? I've heard Burmese. That's not Burmese. I know Spanish. That's not Spanish. I know English. That's not English. I have no idea what that language is. You speak his language. And I looked at him. I go, I exactly do. What did Joseph say? What crazy thing is he saying again now, Mr. H? What he's talking about. And I laughed and laughed and Matthew came out. I want to ask you, would people say you speak their language? Language of compassion, a mercy, a heart for them when they're struggling. A compassion that you pray for them because they need Jesus and they don't know it see, the goal of evangelism is not going down somewhere in Chicago and stand on a stump and to preach to people I don't know. My goal for going to ministries is that you would bloom where God has planted you. You would pray for the people God's placed in your life for their salvation and their needs and you would share Jesus with them. Like I did with Adam with basketball. So my, my last, year, last year teaching, that first week, August 10th of... 2020, I got a new student. I'm gonna give him the name Mike. I'm always tempted to give his name out, but I'm not supposed to. And I'm gonna call his mom, Mary. Mike was a first grade student with emotional disability. A week before he was living in Michigan with his dad and his stepmom, they abused him. They sold drugs, they got arrested. CPS got involved, moved him to his mom a mile from the school in the oldest trailer park in the oldest trailer who's on disability who hadn't seen him for three years. I get him a week later. And that first week he had a hard week and I called his mom Mary at the end of the week because as a SPED teacher you do and again I called I said hey Mary this is Mr. H. I'm Mike's teacher such a blessing to have him I'm so glad I get to work with him and help him to become the little man he needs to be but I have a couple questions for you and she goes what is it Mr. H? I said you know I know we have free breakfast and free lunch, and when I work with him, it's in the afternoon. I've noticed this week he's always hungry. So what I've done, I've just, I eat lunch with him, and I share my lunch with him. My question is this, I know you're on disability, are you needing help with food? Yes, Mr. H. I said, you know, notice something else, Mary, I know you're on disability, you just got him a week ago, and I know there's a lot of weird things that happen with CPS, that he's worn the same pants, the same socks, the same underwear, and the same shirt all week. Do you need help with clothes? And she said, well, Mr. H, I didn't think the school helped. I said, you know, Mary, the school does help some. Stay on the line. I'm going to have you talk to someone. But I'm not only known as Mr. H, but I have another title. The title is Pastor Jim. And Pastor Jim helps. So let me ask you this. How about tomorrow? I'm going to come to your house, and I'm going to bring you a couple bags of groceries, a couple bags of clothes, and I'm just going to do that every other week for the school year. Is that okay with you? She started crying on the phone. I went, and and again, it's a public school. I told my my principal, oh, by the way, I just want you to let you know I'm doing this and I'm not wearing my school ID. I'm wearing my pastor shirt, but I just want you to know. So I started to do that in August. September I go and I'm doing it again into September. We go to the house and the refrigerator broke. I had a gallon of milk. My wife and I, we found a used refrigerator that day and we delivered it to him. It got to be October and I go and I'm sharing food and, and I'm asking about Mary's church background. She has a ring that says Jesus on it and she told me that was her mom's ring but she had since passed. I shared the gospel with her but it just went over her head. She didn't get it at all. And she said this to me, Mr. A, I think it would really help Mike if he went to church. Could he go to your church? Well, my church was like 14 miles away. But Pastor Rick was literally a mile from her trailer and I called Pastor Rick he visited Mary. He shared the gospel with Mary. He invited them to church. His church began to help him. It gets to November and by, is spiraling out of control. He's having emotional outbursts. He's being upset. And we decided as a case conference, if you're familiar with special ed, he needed to go on a reduced day. He couldn't make it a full day. And so on a Tuesday, we had a case conference mid-November. She agreed, it was around two years ago today. And on a Friday, I called her. I said, hey, Mary, I got all the paperwork done if I come after school today and you sign the paperwork, the special ed bus is ready to pick him up a little bit later, take him home a little bit earlier on Monday. Oh, by the way, I have some groceries. Could I come by today? She said, sure, Mr. H. Thank you so much. She signed the paper, thanked me so much, and Monday came. And I think that was the first day Mike missed from school that day, that year. And, And as you're teaching, it's just so crazy, you're so busy. end of the day, I got called in the principal's office. And I just want to let you know, as a 60-year-old male getting called in the principal's office, you're scared. <laughs> I can called the principal's office. Now my principal was, is a believer. She looked at me and goes, Sim, I'm so sorry. I should have told you this before because of Mike. I know you've done so much. I've told his other teachers. I'm sorry I didn't call you in. I don't know how to tell you this. Sit down. I'm just going to tell you. I don't know how to tell you this. Mary died yesterday. There's no family involved. CPS moved him to another county. You're going to never see him again. Are you okay? What? Same thing. She looked at me and she said this, are you okay? This is literally what I said to my principal. Renita, Mike was hungry, I fed him. Mike needed clothes, I clothed him. The refrigerator broke, I got him one. I shared the gospel with Mary and I sent another pastor who shared the gospel to Mary and offered to take him to church. When I stand before God on behalf of Mary, I think I'm gonna be okay because I don't know what more I could have done to share Jesus with her. She goes, oh my, no other teacher has said that. I said, well, Renita, when you asked me if I was okay, I just assumed you meant before God. And she smiled and goes, and Mr. H, that's why we love having you as one of our teachers. Go and tell exists for one reason, the church is not okay today. The church is not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and fulfilling the one command he's given us to do, fulfill the great commission. The church is not known of loving other people in their need by sharing in deeds to help them. And the church is surely not known of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ when 80 to 90% of the church has never shared the gospel ever. When a survey, last survey showed a Christian's prayer habits in the church, more people prayed to win the lottery than they prayed for their neighbor's salvation. The church is not okay today. Because there's going to come a day that we're going to stand before God and what did Jesus say in Matthew 25? Then the righteous will answer Him, Lord, when did we see You hungry and feed You or thirsty and give You something to drink? When did we see You a stranger and invite You in or needing clothes and clothe You? When did we see You sick or in prison and go visit You? The King will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of these least of these brothers of Mine... You did for me. See, the only thing that counts when we stand before God is do we have faith in Jesus and was it demonstrated by our love for others? It's the only thing that counts. You know, I started the sermon by asking if you only had 24 hours to live, what would you do? Maybe the better question is again, maybe we should live every day as if we only have 24 hours. And be known as people who what? Who love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And love our neighbor as ourselves. because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Close with this, C. T. Studd was a missionary. He was a Michael Jordan of cricket in England a hundred years ago. He gave up all his riches to share the gospel. And he said this: only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I pray that together we would encourage each other to love God with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor by sharing the gospel in deed and in word. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your grace that you've demonstrated to us. And Father, we ask that you would help us to demonstrate that grace to others. I ask that you would raise up workers for your harvest field right here. Right here. That wherever you've placed us, Father, we would pray for the lost by name that will bloom where you've planted us by sharing the gospel in deed and in word for the glory of your name and for the salvation of souls. In your name we pray. Amen.